Father, we thank you this morning for just time spent with you. God, we thank you for the sweetness of the name of Jesus. God, we know there's power in the name of Jesus, and we thank you, God, for what you've done for us, for the price you paid on the cross for us. So this morning, God, we ask that you would just speak to our hearts, God, as we continue in worship, as we hear your word. God, that you would work on our hearts and just do in us what you need to do. God, so we just surrender to you this morning. We give this morning to you, and we ask that you would just have your way in the rest of our service. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 2 Samuel, we're still there. Smart Alec Jake that you saw in the video, he said, so are you still in 2 Samuel? I said, yeah. He said, well, it took you three years to go through the Gospel of John, so I'm not surprised. He said he'd watched from Japan, and it was helpful to him to hear English and worship with us. He's quite a character. He looks good bald, doesn't he? He was going bald when he was here, but he was trying to cover it up with that long, long hair he had going on. Hair is the subject of today's lesson. So one of the most important things you can do in your Christian life is be connected. Be connected to the body of believers. It is extremely important that we're all in a small group. Now, our church has many options for that, and you need to be part of one of them. A connection group that meets homes, Sunday morning here with a small group, a Bible study, something, anything. Just anywhere where people get together and share life together and, and read the Bible and study it and talk and and just talk about life and talk about what God's doing and, 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 and listen to each other and hear. We aren't created to be isolated. So I want to encourage you, if you're not in a small group, that you would, you would get in one. Because remember, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the people of God are all we need, and we need each desperately. And so you need to be in a small group. So David has him a nice shindig across the River Jordan, and he is eating some of the finest sheep and goat cheese, uh, beans, lentils, roasted grain. Oh, I live for some roasted grain. And he's got sleeping mats, and he's okay. And uh, the war is about to really get heated up and commence, and... God provided a place for David and his men to be able to get rested up before the big war hits. So in chapter 17, last week, we talked about verse 23, where Athaphel, when he realized that his advice was not followed, he saddled his donkey, went to his hometown, set his affairs in order, and he hung himself. He died there and was buried in a family tomb. And we talked about how he got there. We talked about Athaphel um, uh, being the grandpa of Bathsheba and how it was personal. 
and how he was not able to get beyond the pain and the hurt that he had towards David and how that builds. And we need to be real careful with hurt and pain. Life is full of hurt and pain. Uh, There is hurt and pain that we create because of our choices, and there's hurt and pain that just happens because it's life. Now, we need to be responsible for what our choices are, but if there's one thing that studying through the life of David has taught us is there definitely is pains that have nothing to do with us, and there are pains that we're directly responsible for. And when you experience both of those, man, the pain can be more than one can deal with, more than one can bear. I know it's a popular belief that the Bible says that God will not put on you more than you can handle. That's not true. That's not from the Bible. That's about temptation. And God will allow more on us than we can handle. And he uses that, Paul says, to bring us to God, to bring us closer to him. And he allows some things to take place that make us question, make us try to sort things through. And, and the truth is, for many things, there's just no answer to it. There, there's no reason, there's no logic that we can, you know, put towards the, the hurt. But David experiences much hurt. In this study, we have seen some good things, some lessons that have been of importance for us that we need to learn from. We see good things and we see bad things. And in today's passage in 2 Samuel chapter 18, we see both. We, we see that, that his grief is result of neglect and regret. That's a bad thing. And we also see that he listens to his men, which of course, listening to other people is a good thing. So let's begin in verse 1. Verse 1 through 8 teaches us that David was willing to listen to his men, and that's an important quality for us. David now mustered the men who were with him and appointed generals and captains to lead them. He sent the troops out in three groups, placing one group under Joab, one under Joab's brother Abishai, son of Zariah, and one under Ittai, the man from Gath. The king told his troops, I am going out with you. But his men objected strongly. You must not go, they urged. If we have to turn and run, and even if half of us die, they will be looking only for you. You are worth 10,000 of us. And it is better that you stay here in the town and send help if we need it. David responded, if you think that's the best plan, I'll do it. This is the king. This is the king that always gets his way. This is the king that's in this place of all power. He has absolute command of his troops, yet he's willing to listen to them. And he sees that his plan was faulty, and he put his troops in a bad spot, and he put the operation in a bad spot, and their strategy might get really messed up, and, and they may find themselves overrun, and if, if he is with them, it, it is going to be uh, far more dangerous for David and the men. 
And so they said, no, it's better for you to stay here. You're worth more than 10,000 of us. You're who they're after. You need to stay back. And if we need help, you can send it. We'll get word to you. And David reasons this out. He thinks this through, and he says, if you think that's the best plan, I'll do it. So the king answered. So he stood alongside the gate of the town as all the troops marched out in groups of hundreds and of thousands. I think that was probably pretty hard for David to do. I think it was hard for him. I, I, I was here, presidents and other generals and people like that have said from time to time that one of the most difficult decisions a leader makes is to send men out there into war, to send the troops, to send the men and the women to go fight. And how, how sleepless are nights. And, and so I'm sure David standing there at the gate watching all these people leave was very, very difficult to him. But David listened. And the question that we need to ask ourselves today is, are we willing to listen? If word comes to us that there is a weakness, a blind spot, if there's something that we don't see about our life, are we willing to listen? Are we willing to hear that perhaps our decision, our way, is not the best way to go about doing something? Or are we just closed off to what other people have to say? And, and that's a good leadership principle for us here that David is providing for us. Leaders need to listen and hear what their people are saying. And the king gave this command, it says in verse 5, to Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, for my sake, deal gently with young Absalom. And all the troops heard the king give this order to his commanders. So the battle began in the forest of Ephraim, and the Israelite troops were beaten back by David's men. There was a great slaughter that day, and 20,000 men laid down their lives. The battle raged all across the countryside, and more men died because of the forest than were killed by the sword. That's some rough, rough territory. So in verses 1 through 8, I think it's clear to us that a team is always better than being all alone in a matter, in an issue. Look at verse, the second thing in verses 9 and 10. Here we find Absalom. And we discover that even though this is a, a crazy event in Absalom's life, a crazy happening, that Absalom is trapped by one of his blessings. And I think there's a real important lesson here for us in this. During the battle, Absalom happened to come upon some of David's men. He tried to escape on his mule. But as he rode beneath the thick branches of a great tree, his hair got caught in the tree. His mule kept going and left him dangling in the air. One of David's men saw what had happened and told Joab, I saw Absalom dangling from a great tree. 
Now that's an interesting development right there. Now, let's go back and let's remember here in chapter 14 about Absalom's looks and this hair that he has. Because you're probably asking yourself, how in the world can someone get stuck in a tree with his hair? I will tell you, I don't know. <laughs> I have no clue how a man can get stuck in a, in a tree by his hair. One of the good things about being bald, by the way, is you can't get caught in a tree. So, now, verse 25, chapter 14. Now, Absalom was praised as the most handsome man in all Israel. Whew. He was flawless. English Standard Version says he was without blemish. He was without blemish. He was flawless from head to foot. Now, ladies, think about which men you see as flawless. Are there any? All right, let, all right, George Clooney or Brad Pitt, ladies? I hear men, not women. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that an interesting development? We probably shouldn't go there. I don't want to entertain that anymore. But there, this guy's pretty. He's beautiful. That's what he's known for. It says he was praised. And so all his life, Absalom grew up being praised as the prettiest guy in town. Now, you know what was taking place. All the ladies wanted to get in line when he was a young man. All the ladies wanted to catch his eye. I mean, he's flawless. His looks are perfect. It says from head to foot, the guy doesn't have any problems. And it says in verse 26 that he cut his hair only once a year. Now, for me, I could, I could cut my hair once a year, and that would not be a plural hair. That would be one hair. <laughs> he cut his hair only once a year, and then only because it was so heavy. I have no reference. I don't understand that. Even in the good days, the, I, there was never a time that my hair was too heavy. Other things were too heavy, but not my hair. When he weighed it, it came out to five pounds. Now, have you ever weighed hair? I mean, hair doesn't weigh very much, so he's got some hair. He's got some beautiful hair. I wonder if he, he, he could do the dreadlock thing, you know, and have it down. Let me tell you, if, if, if I could do the dreadlock thing, I'd do it. I mean, I, I, I'm never critical of anyone's hair. If they've got hair, paint it purple, paint it polka dotted, go for it. I think however you color your hair, it's fine with me. I've noticed that it's a style now to make your hair blue or purple. I don't know if it has some kind of hidden meaning or something like that. I don't care. I just like it. And I would like to have this guy's hair until now. He gets stuck in a tree by his hair. 
During the battle, Absalom happened to come upon some of David's men. He tried to escape on his mule, but as he rode beneath the thick branches of a great tree, his hair got caught in the tree. Sure enough, that's what it says in the Bible. So I believe it took place. Absalom is trapped by his blessing. It was a gift for him to be so pretty. I mean, everyone knows, even before television, we all know that if you're pretty, you get ahead. And, and being pretty and, and being sought after as being the man without blemish and being known as the prettiest guy around, listen, that impacted his ability to revolt against David. He could lead. Prettier people can lead better. That's just the way it is. They've done all kind of studies, all kind of research on it. And, and being on the other side of pretty, I have learned that you can be standing before someone at the Walmart checkout place or wherever you're at, and if a pretty person comes along and stands next to you, they will always look at the pretty person and ask them first, may I help you? What am I, chopped liver standing here? I've been standing here for five minutes, and you haven't even looked at me, and this pretty guy or this pretty gal comes and stands here, and you talk to them first. I mean, people are prejudiced about what they believe is beautiful and what is not beautiful. It's a problem. Can you imagine being Absalom growing up in the palace Growing up in the know, growing up in the, in the limelight as King David's son, and everywhere you went, they went, oh, isn't he gorgeous? Look at him. Oh, my. Look how he smiles. Look how he carries himself. My goodness, he's beautiful. Thereby, there's not a blemish on him. There's no fault. I find no fault in him. His arms aren't too long. His hands aren't too long. His feet aren't too big. His hair, look how gorgeous his hair. I wonder how long it takes him every day to get that brushed out. I mean, it had to be long and flowing and gorgeous. And all his life, he heard that. All his life, he heard, you're better than everybody else. All his life, he heard, you're great. You're really important. You matter. You're significant. Man, you, you just can't do no wrong. I'm here to tell you, Absalom, you are absolutely the best-looking man in all of Jerusalem. He'd walk by a piece of shining pottery and look at himself and go, there I am. You know, he had a real problem with, look at me, look at me, look at me. I mean, it's, this whole issue of the, the civil war between him and his dad was all about, look at me, dad. You are not proud of me, dad. You have not been, been advising to me. You have not been a dad to me. You have not been nurturing to me. And so I'll get you. And because you did such a horrible thing by not dealing with the rape of my, my, my sister, your own daughter, I'm going to take this kingdom from you from, because after all, I am Absalom. I am Absalom. But up there in that tree, I guarantee you that he wishes he didn't have the hair and he wishes he wasn't so beautiful 
Now, I don't know what he's thinking up there. I'm sure he's only thinking about not being killed. But you know good and well that if he had an option right there and then, trade with the butcher of Jerusalem, and he can trade places with the butcher of Jerusalem, he'd for sure trade. I mean, he's grown up with all these options. He's grown up with all these opportunities. He's grown up with all this ability. I mean, he was a good leader. He was persuasive. I mean, he was able to put together a big army to fight against David and his fighting men. That's a hard thing to do. He was able to persuade men. He was able to lead men. He was able to gather people. He was able to reason with people at the city gate and say, if we only had a judge who would listen to your problems. I mean, that's Absalom. He has all kinds of skills. I promise you, he wished that he was the plumber or he was the carpenter. He was the rock mason in this case. He would trade places with anyone. He'd rather be bald than be stuck in that tree with all that hair. You know, being great is not all it's cracked up to be. Now, I'm not great, and so I don't have any frame of reference from it, but I promise you, at this time, he is seeing that there is a dark side, there's a downside to being Absalom, and he wishes he was someone else. You see, Absalom was ruined by who others viewed him to be. I think we say it this way. He believed his press clippings. He believed that he was more valuable than anyone else. He believed that he was better than anybody else. He believed that he was more talented than anyone else. He knew he was prettier than everybody else. And so he was really put together in a way. He was conditioned to be Absalom. And he was not ever directed and helped along and advised that, you know, life is more than what people believe beauty is. Life is more than privilege. Life is more than being, being raised in the palace. There's responsibility that comes with who you are. And you need to be focused on it. You know, we... We don't teach that as much today. I, I've seen all across our community that our school system is promoting, is it creating greatness or promoting greatness? Growing greatness. Good slogan. Get it. Understand. But for me, when I see that, I said, I, I wish there was more explanation to the slogan. Because what's going to happen is, is that kids are going to read that, and they're going to read that the whole, whole purpose, existence of the school is that we grow greatness. So if we don't win, then we're a failure. If, I, if I'm not the smartest in the class, then I'm a failure. If I'm not the best trumpet player, if I'm not great, then I have nothing to offer. And I promise you right here and now that, Dave, that, that Absalom would have traded being 
the guy stuck in the tree as a result of being the prettiest man around and having the hair and having the position and the opportunity to wage war against his dad, he would gladly be average. Be average. You see, there's nothing wrong with being average. And we need to be careful when we promote greatness as being everything there is. And if you're not great, then you're a failure. What, what I think is a better promotion is this. We are creating, doing your very best. We're going to give you every opportunity to do your very best. And whatever the result of that is, it's okay. If you're doing your very best and you're average, that's all right. Because after all, most people are average. Most people are average. Now, we may be in a community where, where most people have excelled in something. And they may be the leader at their company, the leader at their job, the leader at their position. They may have, they may not be average in life. But most people are average. And I've said this more than once. And, and honestly, I've received some heat for it a time or two of saying, I'm just average of, at best. And I have, I have come to the place in my life that, that years ago, I realized that just being average at best is okay because I've never been the best at anything. I've never been the best student in class. I was never the best athlete. I, I was never the best at, at pastoring or preaching or doing this or doing that. I mean, there's always multitudes around me that are better at everything than me. Probably what I do more so than anything that's above average or plus or might get me out of a B minus up to a B plus or maybe even an A minus is I just keep showing up. I'll tell you one thing about that, oh, oh, not for an applause, please. That makes me uncomfortable. Don't do that to me, please. No applause needed. I'm average at best. Don't, don't applause average. You shouldn't do that. But if you, that's all you've got, right? And you're okay with it. That's how God has put you together. And I'm, I'm real concerned that kids in our community who are already under so much pressure will see that sign every single day and have what obviously would be a misunderstanding of the school leadership of what that really means. Because I don't believe any of our school officials, whoever put that together, and if you put that together, this is uncomfortable for you. You'll be all right. Just suffer through it. But if you, if you put that together, or whoever put that together, they're not saying that the other 90% don't matter. They're not of value. Because that's not what's practice, I don't think. But there definitely is an understanding in our community that if you don't win it all, it, it, it just didn't have any, any worth to it. I mean, if, if your kid doesn't get picked up on the all-star team, you're a bad mom and dad. Really? You've got to be kidding me. Your kid can't hit a curveball. That's why he's not on the all-star team. It's okay. Go to the river. 
Go do something fun. Get off the ball dime in the middle of August. It's okay if he didn't make the all-star team. Life will be all right. Being average is okay. Do you know that having a limit of options is a good thing? Do you know that being put together of, of being someone that is not always in the limelight is a good thing? Do you know that, that not being seen as, as some great in any area of life is a real good thing if that's how God has put you together? And God has put you together that you're just faithful. You're just thankful. You just love God, love others. You just love your children. You raise your children. None of your kids were the top at anything. They didn't make any of the special teams. They weren't on the starting group. They, they didn't have their picture in the paper. They didn't score the winning touchdown. They didn't score the winning goal. They didn't play first trumpet. There was always fourth or fifth trumpet in those chairs. And it's okay. And in, in our society, you know, I, I was watching TV yesterday. I was listening to commentators about the football games. And they were talking about, well, that coach is on the hot seat. He's on the hot seat because he, he, he lost five games last year. He won seven of them. But he lost five. But he won seven. No, 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 no. You don't understand. He lost five. And, and the guy down there at Alabama, he didn't lose any, or he only lost one. We want to be that. We want to be great. We want to be the best all the time. If we're not the best all the time, then we have no value. Well, being the best all the time, being the conqueror, being the ruler, being the king, being willing to do whatever is required to be number one will get you stuck in a tree by your hair. It will. I think someone, I think this time next year, one of you who can grow hair should start growing it and come over to my house and my mesquite tree, I think, would be the best deal. Let's see if you can get stuck in that tree. All right. Be careful in your parenting. Be careful in unrealistic expectations. Be reasonable. Be objective. A C plus could be your kid's very best in algebra. Now, for me, now, I'm biased about this. If I could have made a C-plus in either Algebra 1 or 2 or Geometry, I, I would have ran around the neighborhood naked. <laughs> I'd have been so excited I wouldn't have waited to put on any clothes. That's probably not a good thing to say on a Sunday morning. I'm just trying to tell you I'd be really, really excited. I don't know why running around naked would be a victory, but <laughs> it just popped in my mind, and that's what happened. <laughs> All right. 
Verses 11 through 18 teach us the valuable lesson that pride goeth before fall. Verse 11. What Joab demanded, you saw him there and didn't kill him, I would have rewarded you with ten pieces of silver and a hero's belt. I would not kill the king's son for even a thousand pieces of silver. The man replied to Joab, We all heard the king say to you in Abishai and Hittai, For my sake, please spare young Absalom. And if I betrayed the king by killing his son, the king would certainly find out who did it. You yourself will be the first to abandon me. Enough of this nonsense, Joab said. Now, Joab is General Mattis. Okay? You remember General Mattis? Joab is General Patton. That's who he is. Joab has only been a warrior. That's all he knows. He's not going to, he's not going to follow David's heart on this. And Joab says, enough of this nonsense. Then he took three daggers and plunged them in Absalom's heart as he dangled, still alive, in the great tree. Ten of Joab's young armor bearers then surrounded Absalom and killed him. Absalom is gone. Then Joab blew the ram's horn because that's what the victors do. That's what the military guys do. And his men returned from chasing the army of Israel. They threw Absalom's body into a deep pit in the forest and piled a great heap of stones over it. And all Israel fled to their homes. Now, I've said some real unkind things about Absalom, that he was stuck on himself, that he was a look-at-me guy that he was full of pride, that's what I'm saying now, that pride goes before a fall, well, here's why. During his lifetime, Absalom had built a monument to himself in the King's Valley. Now, who does that? Someone that's driven by their ego does that. Before you, I mean, building a monument to you is for other people to do. And if the other people really thought that what Absalom provided for their lives was such a big deal, then, I mean, if you strike out 5,000 people when you're through, you get your statue at the ballpark. Nolan Ryan. You know, here's the ball. Strike out 5,000 people in your career, and we'll, we'll build you a statue while you're still alive. Because... I mean, only Nolan Ryan, right? Because he had this great accomplishment. But during his lifetime, Absalom, it didn't say other people did this. It says Absalom built a monument to himself in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to carry on my name. His name, he named the monument after himself. And it is known today as Absalom's monument to this day. I mean, gosh, he was so full of himself. Pride goes before fall. And if we're full of ourselves, we need to be careful. A fall is coming. That's what that proverb means. And then we see in the very last thing in verses 19 through verse 33. 
we see that grief by itself is painful. But grief that is accompanied with neglect and regret is a painful mix. Verse 19, then Zadok's son Amaz said, let me run to the king with the good news that the Lord has rescued him from his enemies. No, Joab told him, it wouldn't be good news for the, to the king that his son is dead. You can be my messer another time, but not today. Then Joab said to a man from Ethiopia, go tell the king what you have seen. The man bowed and ran off. I don't guess Joab cared much for that Ethiopian. Wouldn't let one of his own men do it, but now the Ethiopian lets him do it. But Amaz continued to plead with Joab, whatever happens, please let me go too. Why should you go, my son, Joab replied. There will be no reward for your news. Yes, but let me go anyway, he begs. Joab finally said, all right, go ahead. So Amaz took the less demanding route by way of the plain and ran to Mayanam ahead of the Ethiopian. While David was sitting between the inner and outer gates of the town, the watchman climbed to the roof of the gateway by the wall. As he looked, he saw a lone man running toward them. He shouted the news down to David, and the king replied, If he is alone, he has news. As the messenger came closer, the watchman saw another man running toward them. He shouted down, Here comes another one. The king replied, He also had news. The first man runs to Amaz, son of Zadok, the watchman said, he is a good man and comes with good news, the king replied. Then Amaz cried out to the king, everything is all right. He bowed before the king with his face to the ground and said, praise the Lord, praise the Lord your God who has handed over the rebels who dared to stand against my Lord the king. What about young Absalom, the king demanded, is he all right? Amaz replied, when Joab told me to come, there was a bit of commotion, but I didn't know what was happening. Wait here, the king told him, so Amaz stepped aside. Then the man from Ethiopia arrived and said, I have good news, my lord, the king. Today the Lord has rescued you from, the ha from those who rebelled against you. What about young Absalom, the king demanded? Is he all right? And the Ethiopian replied, May all your enemies, my lord, the king, both now and in the future, share the fate of that young man. Verse 33. The king was overcome with emotion. He went up to the room over the gateway and burst into tears. And as he went, he cried, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Grief plus neglect and, reg and regret is a painful mix. Now, grief by itself is painful, but you add regret to it. You add neglect to it, and it becomes unbearable. 
Now, we can't do anything about grief. We're going to experience grief in life. We're going to lose people we love. It's just the way life is. There's no question about that. But we can do something about the regret and the neglect. And we need to take inventory with that in our relationships. You see, for David, it's too late today, and he's just beaten down with, with guilt, and he's beaten down with hurt over the neglect of the years by not being Absalom's nurturing dad. He did not spend time with Absalom. He did not guide Absalom. He did not, he was not there for Absalom when Absalom needed him the most. He was too busy doing his king stuff. He was too busy defeating all the enemies and he let his home life deteriorate. First of all, he didn't obey God's word and he took all those wives. And so time was a problem. He couldn't make it all. He had too many kids. He had too much going on. King David was the king of Israel trying to make it all work, and he was also the husband of lots of ladies. And he had concubines. And he has all these kids. And he wasn't able to be the dad he needed to be. And so when Absalom dies... David is not concerned about the victory. He's not concerned about, about what he has experienced here with, with Absalom, all the pain, all the hurt of, of him turning against him. He's just absolutely broken that his son is dead. And like I said, he would have been, he would have been broken anyway. He would have grieved if he had had a good relationship with Absalom and Absalom had not turned on him as a way to say, Dad, look at me. And he is just absolutely just torn up because of his neglect and the regret that he had about how he raised Absalom. We can do something about the neglect and the regret. We can make changes now. Take inventory. Realize how you're spending your time, how you're, where your efforts are going in life. Think about your relationships. Think about your home life. Think about the people that matter most to you, that should matter most to you in your life. How are you treating them? How are you spending time with them? How do, are, are you valuing them or are you spending your time on what this world thinks is success? Some decisions to consider because of first, Second Samuel chapter 18. Are you humble, teachable? Are you willing to listen to advice? Are you like Absalom, a look-at-me person? Are you living for the now, or are you living for the eternal? Are you living to please others, or living to please God? Are relationships a priority to you, or is work the priority? Is the bank account the priority? 
Is the success the priority or are relationships the priority? That's what this passage of Scripture should teach us. We find David absolutely broken with grief at the loss of his son Absalom, so much so that he says, if only I had died instead of you. That's a horrible, horrible, horrible place to be. To have that much regret that came from that much neglect. Lord, I pray you'll speak to us. I pray, Lord, that we will hear your voice. And I pray, Lord, that we will make the adjustments that, Lord, need to be made that you, by your Spirit, would lead. May your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, please come forward.